It is such an incredible honor to be um, able to be in a relationship with that God, that God that changes lives and to be a part of a church that loves people where they are. Speaking of loving people where they are, we have a request for, for many of you. If, you, uh, if, you're, if you're new and, and this is your first time at Hope, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But if you call Hope home, we have an ask for you, and we would love for you to please consider helping us by moving to Saturday nights. Uh, that would really help us big time here. We, uh, we had over Christmas, we had almost 15,000 people that came to this church, and we've got many that are, are wanting to come back and, and uh, call this home, and we're so excited about that. And uh, we would love to make sure that we have seats available for them, especially on Sunday mornings. And so love for you and your family if you would consider praying about that. Um, three reasons why you should move to Saturday nights. Uh, they're, they're so much better than Sunday mornings. One, um, sometimes we give away cash prizes on Saturday nights. Um, two, sometimes Mike teaches with a North Carolina shirt on, a Tar Heel shirt, sometimes. And the third is it's exactly the same as Sunday morning. Same kid city, same middle school ministry, same music, everything is exactly the same. Only one of those things was actually true, but you have to come on Saturday nights to figure out which one um, it was. And so if you would consider doing that, we would absolutely love that. Well, welcome to 2016. Happy New Year. You guys look so much better than you did last year. It's incredible. Already, you're, it's, it's having a great effect on you. I, I can see that. Um, one of the things you always have to do when it's New Year's and, and, and we kind of hit this mark is we've got to spend some time talking about last year. Right? We've got to reflect back on 2015. For some of us, 2015 was an amazing year. right? Maybe for some of you, you're like, it was the greatest year yet. Circumstances, relationships, whatever it was, man, I had the greatest year. No matter what came at me, I was never deflated. I felt like a champion just like this guy. And not only is he champion, he's pretty too, right? You got all that going. For some of you, you're like, you know what? I felt like Taylor Swift in 2015. I don't know if, if Tay-Tay did anything really good in, in 2015, but it just feels like every year is a good year for T-Swizzle, right? It just, so some of you are feeling that way. Um, some of you, some of you are like, ah, you know what? 2015, I'm not sure, right? Kind of on the fence. I feel a little uncertain, a little divided, like the first time I saw this picture. Do you remember that? Is it black or white or gold or blue? I, I don't remember. I, I think it's definitely blue. The question is, is, is it Duke blue or Carolina blue? Or, we weren't sure that's where it was. And sorry, Wolfpack fans, you, uh, you got left out again. Um, but you're used to that by now probably, right? So that's, that's all right. For some of us, 2015 was a year that we just wanted to forget, right? For some of us, it was just a, it was a hard year. It was a difficult year. And, and you know that it, it, sometimes it only takes one moment for everything to change. <laughs> yeah, and you just want to put it behind you. Well, I, uh, I did some reflection this past week on 2015, and then I'm happy to report to you, um, here's some of my accomplishments. I made it 15 days into my diet last year, which technically is week three, so I count that as a win. Um, that's a good thing. Uh, 23 days into the Dave Ramsey cash envelope system um, before I lost them. I, somewhere in my house, there are a bunch of envelopes full of money. I just don't know where, I don't know where they are. Um, and then, this was a new personal record for me. I made it to Leviticus chapter 14 in my Bible chapter a day reading plan. Some of you are like, I didn't even know there was a Leviticus. I've never gotten that far before. Um, that was a good one. Oh, we had one other one. As a family, we moved across the country 
again <laughs> for the last time. Oh, never are we, are we doing that again. And so 2015 has come to an end, and now we move on to 2016, which means it's time to set goals, right? It's time to make New Year's resolutions. It's time for us to have a, a fresh start about the old habits that we still haven't um, kicked yet. Uh, and, and for some of you, maybe you haven't had the chance to do it yet. Maybe you just haven't got around to it. You haven't set those resolutions or goals. And so I found a few online, and these may help you. You may want to, to adopt some of these and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own this one this year. Here's one. My New Year's resolution is that donuts are good for me. It feels right, right? I feel like that could be a legitimate resolution right there. You know how every year scientists discover some magical food that's good for you? I think like chocolate was always bad, and now all of a sudden chocolate's good for you, right? And red wine is good for you. For some of you, you're like, that's two of my favorite food groups right there. I don't know. Um, but right, what if, what if they discovered this year that donuts cure diseases, right? That, that donuts are the magic food. I'm, I'm holding out hope. I think there's a chance that that might happen. Um, here's one. My New Year's resolution is to spend less time interacting with people and more time with my phone. Some of you are doing it right now, right? You're doing it right now. You're like, oh, I'm using the Bible app, Donnie. <laughs> Whatever. Like, I'm going to buy that. Sure you are. Um, so here's one. Uh, to my New Year's resolution is to catch up on my resolutions from 2013, 2014, and 2015. Right, a little bit behind on, on some of those. Uh, maybe this is is for you. For uh, some of you, you may connect with this one. Um, my cat's New Year's resolution is to continue to ignore me. Um, if you have a if you have a cat, I don't know why you would, but uh, um, but for some of you, maybe you, you can relate to that. And if you forgot to make resolutions at all, if you haven't set any goals, that's okay. I've got one for you to just take everything that you've done for the past three days so far and write it down and then write the word stop in front of it. And there's a good chance that that's going to give you a lot of things that you can work on um, for this year. I read some stats uh, about Americans and resolutions and goal setting. And, and, and if I read this, about 45% of Americans set resolutions or goals at the beginning of a year, right? That's a lot. It's almost half of our nation that do that. To put it in perspective, about a third of the nation watches the Super Bowl, right? So that is a lot of people that are setting promises, goals, resolutions that, that this year is going to be different. This year is going to be the year where change happens. This is going to be my greatest year yet. The problem is, is that there's another statistic out there that says only about 8% actually follow through and, and make it to the end. I, um, kind of like me, when I, I got to the peace offering in Leviticus, you say, peace out on my goals, right? I'm, I'm done with those. But the reality is, is that we all have things in our lives that we want to change, right? There are things that we want to set goals for. There are things that we do want to have these resolutions. We want to be better in our lives. It, maybe it's for you, it's in the, the realm of relationships. Maybe you're single and your resolution for this year is to not be anymore, right? Maybe you're married and it's to be a better spouse. Maybe you're a parent and it is to be a better parent this year. Maybe you're a child and your resolution is to make the, your parents' lives more easy and, and enjoyable. My son must have written that down. I have the perfect child. He must have written that in my notes here for me. Maybe it's in the realm of finances for you. This year, I want to be more generous, right? I want to have room and margin to be able to meet needs when those needs come up. Maybe for some of you, it's to spend less in certain areas. If I could cut down my spending in, in just this one area, it would be a game changer for me or for my family. Maybe for some of us, it's to get out from that debt, right? That debt that's been over us, that has been carried. If I could just make those payments, if I could just pay that off and get into the freedom side of that, it would change everything this year. For some of us, maybe it's our health, right? This year, I want to set goals. I, I want to change. I want to eat better. I want to start um, exercising more. I found a picture. This was the gym parking lot last week. 
this is the gym parking lot this week, right? As we, as we set those goals. But here's the reality, right? Is that we all run into this. We set these goals. We want to see change happen in our lives. And yet time and time again, we run into to failure, right? We, we just can't seem to make those changes. We can't seem to, to get past things. And it's for a bunch of different reasons. One is sometimes it's just a plain lack of discipline, right? We go buy the new gear and we buy the gym membership, but we don't actually end up ever going. Um, sometimes it's a lack of accountability. Uh, I've shared with you some of my... Uh, failures from last year already. Um, one of them was that for Laura, my wife Laura and I, to have a, a regular date night every other week this year. It didn't happen. Um, the good thing is that she didn't know because I never told her that that was one of my goals. And so, right, when you don't have accountability, sometimes the things just kind of flow through. Um, maybe another one is, is another reason why is because we get things in the wrong order. Sometimes we, we, instead of stopping something, we just try to add something new and just try to, to make changes, right? Maybe if our goal is to lose weight, instead of stopping eating a, a bag of chips every day, we just try to add 25 minutes onto the treadmill and, and eventually we realize that it just doesn't work. Or maybe our goal is to, to read more this year. Maybe even read the Bible. I, I want to become wiser. But we don't stop watching The Bachelor, which makes us dumber. It's a scientifically proven fact, right? And so when we don't stop things, we just try to add more things. And our schedules just get complicated and busy. And we get tired. And we give up. And we fail. What if I told you today? That Jesus has given us three things, that if we put these principles into play, if we, if we put this plan that Jesus had into our lives this year, that it would change our lives in radical, radical ways. There's three things from the passage that we're going to take a look at in just a second that Jesus wants for us. He wants us to stop something, he wants us to know something, and then he wants us to do something. And I promise you, if you listen and put these things into practice this year, if you maybe make these your resolutions or your goals for 2016, not only will it save you time this year, not only will it improve your health, not only will you see increase in your relationships and in all kinds of areas, it's going to impact every single decision that you make for the better. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. And if you don't have your Bible with you today, that's totally fine. Um, you can follow along on the center screen, and uh, we'll have all of the, the verses up there as well. Let me just give you a little bit of background on this as we get into it. Um, this chapter is, is part of the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this is Jesus' very first sermon that he ever gave. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So it's, it's a three-chapter sermon. It's, it's a long one. Um, and some of you are maybe wondering, well, Donnie, why is it called the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Matthew tells us that there was a, a big crowd of people and so Jesus went up on the side of a mountain and he taught them, right? It's not very deep at all. It's a, it's a very simple, very simple thing. Um, but in this, in this sermon that Jesus gives, he covers several different topics, a lot of different things that, that help us to live a life that is dedicated to pleasing God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, full of wisdom and discernment. It really, what he does is he paints for us a picture of what a follower of Jesus should look like. And so if you're thinking, man, you know what? I should read my Bible a little bit more this year. I would encourage you this week to pick it up, turn to Matthew and read chapters five, six, and seven, and read the Sermon on the Mount and uh, see what Jesus had to say. All right, let's pick it up. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse 25, he says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more 
then close. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Because when I read this uh, this week or a couple weeks ago when I was kind of preparing this, I got to that very first verse and I had to stop. And, and the question that came to my mind is, why would Jesus choose worry, right, of all the things? Because if I'm honest, there are way worse things that go on in my mind and in, in my heart, stuff that I deal with uh, all the time, stuff that I know God knows about, right, that I think are far more important that he would love for me to stop doing, that he would love to see change in my life. And, and I think that's probably true for all of us. Why did Jesus choose of all the things to say to stop doing? He says, do not worry. Maybe it's because it's something that we all do. Show of hands, how many worriers do we have in the house? Worriers? Don't make us talk about lying next week, people. Come on. <laughs> right? We all do it, don't we? We know that. Maybe it's because it has some pretty devastating effects in our lives. We know that worrying affects our health, right? We've read all the reports. We've seen the news. We know that it affects our appetite. We know that it impacts our sleep. It affects our relationships, our job performance. And what we do is because now we've got these issues and these, these things, we try to compensate. We try to cover up. We, we try to take control of certain things. And so we add other harmful habits to our lives, maybe stuff like overeating or smoking or drinking or drugs or all kinds of different things, right, that we try to fill those gaps in so that we can try and control things. And what we do is by worrying, we actually end up sabotaging our goals and our lives at the same time. Worrying affects our priorities. Show of hands, in in the last year, 2015, how many of you at any point during the year worried about relationships? Maybe it's a relationship with a spouse, with a child, with a, a parent, right, with a neighbor, coworker. Okay, how many of you worried about work or school? Get, trying to find a job, the job that I have, is it the right job, school, right? Trying to get into the right school, something like that, okay? How many of you worried about finances? At some point last year, finances were like, yeah, yeah, I worried about that one just a, just a little bit too. How about the future? Maybe it's, it's with relations to the government or to terrorism, stuff that's happening in our country or, or around the world, right? There's stuff that's happening just within our culture, decisions that are being made and the, the shifts that are happening within our culture. How many of you, um, how many of you worried at, at any point last year about something to do with a lack of confidence? And based around that, I mean by, by what other people thought about you, um, maybe about your looks, about your reputation, somewhere around there. Some of you are like, I'm not confident enough to put my hand up to talk about, <laughs> talk about confidence, right? How many of you worried about your health at some point last year? You worried about your health? Yeah. One more. How many of you worried about all of those things? You were like, at every single one of those things. At some point last year, I worried about them, right? Um, how many of you didn't vote because you were worried you were going to get the answer wrong? That's how you know you're a chronic worrier, right? If you're like, oh, I can't put my hand up. I don't know if I'm going to get it right. Um, I read this. The average person spends, catch this, 14.3 hours a week worrying. 14.3 hours a week, right? It affects our priorities. 14.3 hours. That's practically an entire working day that we spend worrying. Now, I remember reading in the Bible where God said, you know what? Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take one day and we're supposed to stop everything. We are supposed to rest right, in who God is and what he's done for us. We're supposed to worship him. There's supposed to be a day of rest in our lives. I don't remember reading anywhere in God's word where it says that we're supposed to worry for an entire day. Imagine what you could do if you could get an extra 14 hours of your week back by eliminating worry from your life. Because worry affects so many things. It it affects our relationships, right? Because we become selfish and we turn inward. And ultimately what worrying does is it affects our trust in God. And I think that's why Jesus chose to say, do not worry. Because worry is all about trust. 
Worry is caused when we try to take control of things in our lives. Mike says this all the time, right? You know there's stuff in your life that needs to change. You know there's behaviors or habits or relationships. And if you had the power to make those changes, you would have done them by now. The reason that you don't is because they're outside of your control. We can't change them. And so what we do is we end up worrying about them. And so we do things backwards, right? We try to set goals and priorities, and then we try to be in control of all those things. And at the very end of it, we say, God, will you please bless that? Will, maybe more realistically, God, will you please fix that, right, in, in my life? And so we spend all this time trying to set goals and trying to, to, to take control of things ourselves. And what it does is it causes us to worry. It leads to fatigue in our lives because it's so exhausting trying to be in control of things that we were never created to be in control of. And when we fail, it leads to guilt. But what if we were to take that and, and switch it around? Because when we don't trust God with our lives, things just get messy. But if we were to switch that around and say, God, what if it was your goals, your priorities for my life? What if I recognize today that you are the one that's in control of everything? And I'm just going to come along behind and live that blessed life in relationship with you. Not a perfect life, but a blessed life, following you and trusting you with everything. I read this, 42% of people are unhappy with their lives. It's a lot of people. And I love in this one verse that Jesus chooses two very specific things to tell us not to worry about. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body. Probably 98% of New Year's resolutions that are made are with regard to those two things. You see, there may be greater sins out there than worry, but I don't know that there's anything that's more disabling than worry. And so here's the very first thing that, that Jesus wants for us as we head into this brand new year. He wants us to stop something. He says, do not worry. He didn't say, try not to worry. He, he didn't say, you know what, I'm now going to give you a list of, of certain things that are acceptable for you to worry about. You can worry about these things, but, but just keep it to this list. He doesn't say, hey, if you could cut it down from 14 hours a week to about seven hours, if you could cut it in half this year, that would be great. I, I would love that. Jesus doesn't say any of those things. He simply says, do not worry, right? There's no other exception to it. Now, I know what you're thinking, because it's exactly what I was thinking when I read this. Right? You're going, Tani, easier said than done, right? This doesn't even seem realistic. But how in the world are we supposed to do this? Well, here's the second thing that Jesus wants for us to make this the best year ever. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 26. Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I love Jesus' sarcasm here, right? Because I believe sarcasm is a spiritual gift, and I think Jesus has it right here. He's looking at this going, going seriously, if you worry, are you going to add an hour to your life? He's like, absolutely not. Of course you can't. Right? It's doing the exact opposite. The more you worry, the faster you're killing yourself. Right? Look what he says in verse 28. So why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Let's just stop there for a second. Because here's what Jesus shows us in these few verses. He shows us why we don't need to worry 
forever. He uses two examples. And, and my guess is that as Jesus is on that side of the mountain, that, that there was probably some birds that flew by. And he says, do you see the, the birds in the air? Right? And maybe he pointed over to a field that was next to them. And do you see those wildflowers, those, those beautiful flowers that are just growing on that side of the hill? Nobody planted them there. Nobody put them there. Right? They just, they're just there. Do you see those things? You see, here's the deal. God provides everything they need. They don't earn anything. They don't have a to-do list. They, they don't have to go to work in the morning to provide for their families. Right? They are completely dependent on God. And to add to it, he says, even Solomon, right? Even Solomon, the, the wisest and richest man in the world, even Solomon in his Louis Vuitton suit and his Kohan shoes, right? He doesn't even match up to those flowers over there. See, if God cares about and provides for the birds in the air, and guess what? You are more valuable than they are. Then he's going to provide and care for you. And if God made those flowers over there as beautiful as they are, and you're even more valuable than they are, then, then guess what? In God's eyes, you're even more beautiful than they are. You see, Jesus wants us to know something, and here's what he wants us to know this year, that you are incredibly valuable. God wants us to find our confidence, not in what we do, because our identity isn't in our looks. It's not in our stuff. It's not in our success or our wealth or our status. It's absolutely not in what anyone else says or thinks about you. It's simply found in who God says you are. Because when our confidence is found in our identity in Christ, we will place our confidence in God to provide for us. This is the secret to dealing with worry. Because God created us. He made us in his image. He chose us to be in a relationship with him. I want to give you four truths really, really quick. Four things that God has said are absolutely true about you. And, and here's what I believe. That if you own this list, if you believe these things, if you remind yourself daily of just these four things, and there's hundreds more in the Bible, but if you remind yourself of these four things every single day, I believe it will be a game changer for you. It'll change how you think, how you see things, how you respond to things. Everything will be different. Here's the first one. I have been chosen by God and adopted as his child. Ephesians 1 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. How amazing is that? That you have been chosen and adopted by God. Now, I can't relate firsthand to, to being adopted or, or to adopting, and so I recognize and understand for some of us in this crowd, right, maybe from the circumstances or situations that you've been through, maybe when you hear this analogy, you're like, ah, that's tough for me. Right, because I didn't have a good experience with that. I, I get that. I understand that. And I'm sorry that that was your experience. But, but here's the truth. If you can look past your experience to the amazing truth that God lays out for us, that the, the God who knows everything, the all-powerful God who's running the universe chose you to be in a relationship with him. And through that adoption, all the benefits of being in a relationship with God are yours. This is an incredible thing. We just sang this song. We just worshiped to this, that we are God's sons and daughters, right? What an incredibly powerful thing this is. Here's the second truth. 
I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I don't know if you know this, but 365 times in the Bible, in different ways, it says, Do not be afraid. Now, I know what you warriors are thinking about. You're like, Donnie, what about a leap year? Right? What do we do with that? I've got nothing for that. So once every four years, you can worry to your heart's content, right? But, but here's what it, it says. That God doesn't make us timid, right? There is no reason for us to worry because God doesn't make us afraid. Worry is not from God, and so we shouldn't play God by adding it to our lives. What it says is that we get through a relationship with him power, love, and self-discipline, which is exactly what I need in my life to see the change happen that I, I know that I want. Here's a third one. I'm God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I believe God is perfect, right? Otherwise, he's not worth believing in. And I'm not brilliant, but it seems reasonable to me that if God is perfect, it means he doesn't make mistakes, which means none of you are a mistake. None of you are an accident. Now, maybe you weren't planned by your parents, but you weren't a surprise to God. He had good things planned for you, it says, long ago. Now, we live in a broken world, right? And we're broken people because of our sin and the choices that we make. And I understand that you may not like the situation that you were born into, but here's the reality and the truth. None of that changes how God sees us. Even in our brokenness, he didn't walk away. But he chose to love us and to adopt us. He says that you are incredibly special and important. You are a masterpiece. There's no one else like you. And here's the last one. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, I'm not going to get into what other faiths believe here, but here's what I read in this passage. We have direct access to the God that created everything and the God that is in control of everything through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be too bad to lose it. You can't be good enough to earn it. It is done out of God's perfect love for you. So Jesus says, you know what? We need to stop some stuff in our lives. We gotta stop worrying. And he says, you know how you stop worrying? It's by knowing these truths that you're incredibly valuable. And when you know that you're incredibly valuable, you put your trust back in God to take care of you and to provide for all of your needs. See, our, our identity is the source of our confidence. And when our, when our confidence is in God, it leads to trust, and it leads to trusting him in every area and every aspect of our lives. I love this quote. It says, there isn't enough room in your mind for both worry and faith. You must decide which one will live there. So we can either fill our minds with worry and we can allow that to dwell there for about 14 hours a week, or we can fill our minds with the truths of who God says we are and the incredible value that we have in his eyes. And as a result of that, trust him with everything in our lives that we want to worry about. So stop something, do not worry, know something, you are valuable. Here's the last thing that Jesus wants for us. Verse 31, says, Jesus says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Here's the last thing that Jesus wants for us. He wants us to do something. He wants us to put God first. Now, this may sound daunting to some of you. In fact, it may sound impossible to some of you. But here's what I want you to know. This isn't a call to behavior modification, right? Jesus doesn't then go on and list a bunch of to-dos and a bunch of to-don'ts, right, that he wants us to, to follow with all of our lives. This isn't meant for you to feel overwhelmed and to quit before you even begin. It's really quite simple. We respond to who God is and what he did for us. You see, he already put us first 2,000 years ago. The moment you bow your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, all of your sin is transferred to Christ's account, and it's paid in full. When Jesus was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, we received two things. We received mercy from God, which is not getting what we deserve, which was God's wrath, but we also received grace, which is getting what we don't deserve, and that's the righteousness of Christ. You see, everything that you have done wrong is forgiven and forgotten, and everything that Jesus did right his righteousness has been transferred to your account, and then God calls it even. God says, I'll take the blame for everything that you've done wrong, and I'm going to give you credit for everything that I did right. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's why it's called the gospel, which literally means good news. It's the song that we sang about this morning, right? It's amazing grace. And it's not just good news. It's the best news, because the gospel costs us nothing. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. It can only be received as a free gift from God, compliments of his grace. It costs us nothing, but it demands everything from us, which means that we need to put God first in every area of our lives, that God has to be first in our relationships. Whatever that relationship is, whether it's at work or school, at home, in your community, in your neighborhood, right, wherever that relationship is, that God is first in that relationship, that God is first with our time, that God is first with our finances, in how we walk, and how we talk, right, and the things that we watch, and what we think about at work, at school, all of those things that we put God first in every one of those areas. Mark Batterson is a, a pastor and, a, and an author, and, and I love this quote. He says, if you have the courage to completely surrender yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ, there is no telling what God will do. All bets are off because all bets are on God. And so the question is, okay, well, how do I put God first? You ask this question, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? God, as I head into this meeting today at work, what do you want me to do in this meeting? God, as I meet with this person, God, how do you want me to treat this person? God, with the gifts that you've given me, how do you want me to serve and impact the lives of others? God, with my time, how do you want me to use my time today? With my finances, God, how do you want me to spend what you have given me today? It's God, what do you want me to do with my life? Here's what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. See, Jesus says, if you stop worrying and you understand how incredibly valuable you are in God's eyes, and then you put God first in every area of your life, it'll be the greatest year that you've ever, ever experienced. 
A few years ago, I was, um, I was an associate pastor at a church in, in Illinois, and that was just a fancy title. I was really just the student ministry pastor, um, but they gave me that title so the senior pastor could ask me to do all the things that he didn't want to do. And, uh, and so um, we were there for about four years. It was really the first church that I, I really was actually getting paid at um, to work at, and, and so um, I was learning a lot and going through a bunch of different things. And, and after about four years, um, God was, was making himself very clear. He was telling Laura and I that it was, it was time for us to consider moving on. And, and he wanted us to move from Illinois, which was already kind of far away from our family back in Canada, even farther away to go to Southern California, to go to Saddleback Church and to do a, a two-year internship. And, and I wrestled with God a little bit going, okay, so hold on, you, you want me to give up the paid job that I have to, to go be an, an unpaid intern for two years? You want me to give up the, the $400 a month house that we're renting here in Illinois to go pay $1,400 a month to rent a two-bedroom apartment in, in Southern California? This is what you're asking us to do, God? And he was like, uh-huh, yeah, I want you to do that. And so we, we obeyed, and we packed up, and, and we moved um, even further away from our family. And, and when we got to California, money was tight, right? Uh, as an intern, my job was, uh, the only way I could get kind of paid for it was to send out um, support letters, kind of like a missionary. And so I would write some letters and, and send them out. Um, that's awesome. I'm asking people to, to support you and your family for your life. That's, that's not fun um, at all. Laura had a job lined up when, when we went there, and as soon as we got to California, the job fell through. And so she had nothing. We had enough savings for about the first two months. We were able to, to make it through, and, and we cashed in everything that we had. And I remember month number three, I, I remember it was the end of January. It was three days before the end of the month. And I remember Laura calling me at the office, and she said, Donnie, I, I need to write a check for rent for next month. And I said, okay. She said, the problem is, is that we don't have enough money to cover rent. And it's not just a little bit of money. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of money that we don't have. For a rent check. And, and I tried to be brave and I tried to be strong for her. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, well that's, that's no problem. We'll, we'll figure this out, right? Maybe I'll, I'll try and, and write another support letter and send it out. But I knew there wasn't enough time to write a letter, mail it out back to people for them to get it, read it, respond, mail a check back. There's just no way. There wasn't enough time for us to pull that off. And so I hung up the phone and I remember just walking the campus and praying and I was terrified. I felt like such a failure. I'm going, God, I feel like a failure as a husband. I feel like a failure as a dad. I've moved my family across the country, and now I can't even afford to pay for rent next month. And I struggled, and I wrestled with this. And I kept reading this verse over and over again. I said, God, I'm sure as best we can, we're trying to put you first, right? We followed you into this, and this is what you called us to do. And God, I'm trying my best with this. But I don't understand. You promised to meet our needs, and, and here's this massive need. We, we're going to be homeless in a little while at, at this rate if we keep going. We've cashed out everything that we have. God, I don't know what to do next. And I just prayed. And the next day, I was sitting at my cubicle, and someone from accounting walked past and then stopped and, and took three steps backwards and looked at me and said, Donnie, you got a check in the mail today. They said, I don't know what it is, but I'll go check it out and I'll send you an email and let you know what the amount is. And they walked back away. And I was like, God, you know, right? You and me, we're good. We're tight. I believed in you the whole time, right? You and I, we're, we're you and I, tight like this. We're, yeah, good. I was like, oh, God, right? You did promise. And then I got an email a few minutes later, and it was not only enough to cover our rent for that month, but it was enough that I could actually feed my family for, um, for a few more days anyways. And God continued to provide for us. This happened over the course of a few months. 
And I would love to tell you that I was able to stop worrying completely and trusted God with everything. That's not true, right? I remember the second month when we didn't have enough to cover rent and going, God, you did it once. Are you seriously going to do this again, right? I don't know if you're going to come through this time. And then month number three, and, and then he began to provide for us in other ways. He, Laura got a job, and, and he provided some other income that came in, and some incredible stuff happened. We were never rich during those two years, at least not financially, but we were so rich in our faith because we were able to trust and depend on God and learn and recognize that worrying doesn't change anything, but trusting in God and putting him first in my life, that has the potential to change Here's the three questions that I have for you as you head into this year. And you can ask them as, as kind of the big overall questions and set your goals from this for the year. I think it's better if you ask these questions every single day. But here's the first one. God, what do you need me to stop worrying about? Stuff has already come to your mind as we've been talking about it. Maybe it's stuff from last year that's carrying over. Maybe it's the uncertainties of things that you're heading into. God, what is it that you need me to stop worrying about, to, to surrender over to you? Second question, what promise do I need to trust this year? Maybe it's one of those four that, that we share, that you've been chosen and adopted by God, that he doesn't give you a spirit of, of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline, that you are his masterpiece, that you have direct access to him in freedom and confidence. Maybe it's another promise. There's hundreds of them in here. And you need to hold on to that truth this year of who God says you are and find your identity and your confidence in that so that you can trust him completely. And then the last question is this, is God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, today, what do you want me to do with my life? Will you show me? Will you guide me? And I promise you, not only will he meet your needs as he promises to do here, but you will have the greatest life, the greatest year that you have ever had. Not perfect, not promising it's going to be easy, but I promise you it will be worth it, absolutely worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your grace and your love. Father, I... Uh, I can't imagine how many times you've looked at me and looked at my life and just said, Tony, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're not in control. This isn't about you. Step aside and let me do the things that I'm supposed to do. God, I'd be so frustrated with me that I probably would have quit on me by now. I would have walked away. I would have said, I'm, I'm done with this. But God, you don't do that. God, you promise that you love us, that you never leave us. You have said how valuable that we are to you. God, may I hold on to those truths. May we hold on to those truths this year and find our value and our confidence and our identity not in anything else other than who you say we are. And then, God, will you give us the courage and the boldness to put you first in every area of our lives this year? We're gonna fail, we're gonna mess up. But God, to know that your grace is sufficient enough to pick us up and, and to let us carry on is, is incredible. God, I want this for my life. I want this for our church this year. I want this to be the greatest year that we have had yet. Help us to stop worrying, to find our value in you, and by putting our trust in you to provide, to God put you first in every single area of our lives this year. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.